When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Digital Nomads, a podcast about nomadism and nomadic peoples around the world and throughout history. I'm your host, Maggie, and today I'm speaking with artist and folklorist Nina Niskanen, who you can also find online under the artist's name Fairy Chamber. Nina, who has Sami ancestry from Finnish and Swedish Lapland, specializes in Finno-Baltic and Sami folklore and mythology. And so today we'll be talking about Sami folklore and mythology specifically through a pop culture lens and about how aspects of Sami culture, myths, and folklore are depicted in Disney's Frozen movies. So thank you so much, Nina, for joining me. Thank you for having me. So to get started, could you provide an overview or sort of a summary of who the Sami are for listeners who might not be familiar? So the Samis are the native people of Finland, uh, Sweden, Norway, and then northern Russia. They are nomadic people, mostly known for their nomadic lifestyle, which includes fishing and reindeer herding, mainly. And there are about 20,000 to 30,000 speakers of Sami languages across these countries. My great-grandmother was a Sami. Her name was Maria Matilda, and she married my great-grandfather, who was a Finnish man, and they had my grandfather and his brothers and sisters. So I am a quarter of a Sami, like my mother likes to say. And um, then in 2015, around that time, my uncle made some family research, and he traced back the family line of Maria Matilda to the Lapland of Sweden to the 19th century and to the time when um, Lapland of Sweden was converted into Christianity. Apparently, some of my great-grandfathers was uh, some kind of minister there and a Sami. So lots of interesting characters in my family. But um, that originally got me interested in Sami mythology because... Around that time, I had studied Finnish mythology and Baltic mythology in the university. And I was very interested on all these mythical layers because all the mythologies are really made of different layers and they have different influences from other countries and cultures. So I had done Finland and Baltic countries, Scandinavia and uh, Russia, and then uh, then I studied the Sami influences in Finnish mythology and Sami mythology as a separate topic. And so how would you sort of describe Sami folklore and mythology? What are some of its key features or elements? I think the main key feature is that Sami mythology and Sami culture, the spirituality was nature-based and it was incredibly shamanistic culture. And both Sami and Finnish 
mythology, their first layer is from Siberia and from Siberian um, belief system, nature-based belief system. And this man is uh, animistic beliefs, uh, nature spirits, um, ancestors. Ancestor worship is a very big part of that culture. So you um, brought up Christianity and sort of the influence of Christianity on um, Sami culture. How has that changed Sami folklore and mythology? How did these two kind of interact? Well, here in Finland, the Finnish were converted into Catholicism at first in Middle Ages and then later on to Lutheranism. So the same happened in Lapland, but a little bit later. But especially in the 19th century, there was a um, a rather famous man called Lars Laivilestadius who took his life mission to convert Lapland into Christianity. And uh, one of my friends who is a Sami, she told this story that how uh, there were certain things that were done, like the shaman drums were burned and destroyed. And this was interesting because I think maybe 10 years ago, something like that, the Finnish church apologized to the Sami community of burning the shaman drums. So there's some kind of improvement there. But um, So my friend told me about how Lars Laivilestadius, he had um, sort of uh, changed the hat of the Sami woman because it was some kind of, it looked like a bird, but he thought it was too erotic or something. So he <laughs> changed the hat and little things like that. And then I think in the mythology, you see that there are characters like Jesus and Virgin Mary. And And so are there regional differences across, you know, Sami folklore mythology or kind of uh, folkloric traditions? You know, you said that, you know, the Sami are kind of spread out across Northern uh, Sweden, Finland, Norway, and uh, Russia. So do you do we find kind of differences across that territory in terms of belief systems or practices? Yeah, we do. Um, in uh, Finland, we do get certain Finnish deities in Sami mythology, like for example, Ukko, which is a Finnish thunder god. We can find him from the Sami mythology also as the thunder god, but then... He goes in different names in Norway and Sweden. And then in Norse mythology, there are lots of trolls and giants. And those are very common in Sami mythology in Norway and Sweden, in, in Lapland, but not so much in Finland. So there are these type of differences. And could you say more about these kind of interchanges between Sami and Finnish or maybe more kind of mainstream Nordic folklore, you know, how do we see Sami folkloric traditions influencing Finnish folklore or vice versa? I think it with some of the deities like Lohi, which is a Finnish god of the north, and then also in Kalevala, it's a bit of a difficult thing to say because Kalevala can be um, sort of read in different ways because they fight literally against the people of the north. So then you think, is it Finnish against the Samis or what's going on there? But then it can be any ancient tribe fighting any 
other mm. ancient tribe because Kalevala it was written in the 19th century and during the time when there was very high movement of nationalism in Finland. Mm. So it's very difficult to say what's going on there. I do think there are some elements uh, that can be found from these old poems that come from the uh, the Samis, like Lohi, the goddess of the north. Uh, she is very often connected to Sami goddesses because she is the goddess of the north. She's the goddess of death. And in Sami mythology, the uh, there was a one f- belief that uh, the ancestors live in Northern Lights and Lohi is often connected to Northern Lights. And then there's the myth of the Firefox and also the bear worship. These are also things that we can find from Finnish mythology and then from Sami mythology. And the idea of a great deer having uh, holding a sun in its uh, antlers this is something that we can find from many Siberian cultures and Finno-Ugric cultures and also from Sami mythology. So many of these animal myths have similar roots in Finnish and Sami myths. And so to maybe transition to the frozen movies, you know, you've written about this topic about um, how Sami folklore are depicted in the in this medium in um, in animation um, and in these um, and in the frozen films. Um, so I thought we could maybe go through some of the motifs or some of the influences that you've highlighted in terms of Sami culture on Disney's Frozen movies. And the first one that I wanted to start with is um, the motif or the practice of sun worship. So if you could maybe talk about how that's portrayed in the films and how that how that's practiced in Sami culture, sort of what the significance of sun worship or sun deities is. Yeah, sure. So in the Frozen 2, the North Hutra tribe, are the worshippers of the sun, or they were before they were blocked, uh, captured into this time capsule that they are living in. And um, yeah, that comes from the Sami culture. They worshipped a goddess called Bewi, or Bewi. She was the goddess of the sun and goddess of life. And uh, we can find similar female goddesses from different Uh, areas like in here in Finland, there was a similar goddess called Päivätär. In Sweden and Norway, she was known as Sunna. So another intersectionality there. But uh, in the Sami, Shaman Trump, there's the sun in the middle because in Lapland, summer is short and winter is long. Mm-hmm. So they worship the sun as their deity mm-hmm. and the as the bringer of life. And some of these ways that they worshipped the sun was that they sacrificed a white reindeer for a baby. It was a white female reindeer. And uh, they they made all these different rituals for baby. Like they like to ha- hang these almost like dream catchers, but they were sun catchers, the trees. And they had these different ribbons and they really just portrayed fertility and flourishing of the earth and things like that. And um, in the winter time, um, they had these big uh, festivals for Bewi where they sacrificed this reindeer. 
And also they made these special foods for the sun goddess, like butter and porridge. So the sun as not necessary as like personified goddess, but as a like a shamanistic nature spirit would wake up when the when the spring would arrive. Like literally during the winter time, sun would be asleep or dead, depending how you interpret the myth. And we can find the same from like ancient Egypt and other cultures where the sun god was asleep during the winter time. And this is one of those uh, myths that uh, can really be found from all over the world, from ancient Greece and everywhere. A question that I actually meant to ask before, how are Sami folklore mythology transmitted? You know, I imagine it's primarily kind of oral transmission, but I might be wrong. So, you know, are these myths or folk stories, are they written down? Are they preserved in written form or visual form? How are these stories passed on? It has been mainly orally. This person, uh, Lars Lavillestadius, he actually wrote one of the earliest books about Sami mythology, which is actually very interesting because he was a Christian himself. But um, yeah, mainly orally and also through yoiks and these um, mm. different ways of um, capturing the heritage. Mm. And could you explain what yoiks are? What's their significance? Yes. Yoik is a traditional form of Sami music, but it's not singing. It is more chanting. So in Frozen, the main theme of the movie series is Weli, which is a Sami yoik. And it was uh, written by a Sami, Norwegian Sami composer. Yoiks are a way of sort of, they can capture a person or a feeling or a memory, pretty much anything. But it's a way of chanting. It's not singing. To return to some of the Sami motifs in the films, another one of them that you brought up is the land of the dead. Could you talk about that? What that kind of signifies in Sami mythology? What is the sort of, what are the traditions around kind of the afterlife or the land of the dead? There are many ways to approach this topic. Like I said earlier, um, there's one belief that the ancestors live in northern lights. And there's another one that ancestors live in nature or they are reborn again. So there is this idea of uh, rebirth. Like the Samis, they saw death as a beginning. For example, if a, if a person would find... Um, a reindeer skeleton from nature, and then they would bury it. It would need to have all the bones left. Otherwise, the reindeer could not continue its life in the next stage. And this is also one of those things that I also have found from Finland, that when a bear was killed, for example, then they had to bury all the bones. Otherwise, the bear could not continue its journey in the afterlife. So um, these burial rites, they were very important. And it was also not unheard of if, like a, if an important person died in the family, they might later on bec become like a worship person 
by the next generation and generation after that. Like if it was like a famous grandmother or or an important uncle, they might become sort of a spirit that lived on together with the with the family as this sort of worshipped person. Mm. And um, in the in the Sun mythology, what I can gather, they originally believed to the reincarnation, and later on with the elements from Christianity, those they they started to develop the idea of hell or underworld. And in the Sun myths, the underworld was in the bottom of a bottomless lake. We can see that as metaphor for a Christian hell or like in many cultures, underworld is somewhere underground or that the uh, ancestors live underground because they are buried underground. Maybe continuing um, talking about water, uh, another motif that you brought up is the water horse. Could you explain what that is? This was an entirely new concept to me that to me didn't have parallels in other mythologies that I was aware of. So could you explain a bit what that represents in um, Sami folklore? So um, I have found the water horse from Finnish folklore and Scandinavian folklore. And I don't know, I maybe it was adopted to the Sami folklore. And because they do have this belief for nature spirits that is very strong. So in Finnish mythology, we have this uh, water spirit called Ikutihku, which is this um, ancestral horse that was created by the trolls in the in the underworld. And he was this interesting character because he was made from fire and ice. So when I was watching Frozen 2, this myth came to my mind because we have this water horse that mm. Elsa tames. So Ikutiku, which means, his name means like eternally dripping water. It's quite interesting. And he can only travel, he can travel between the human world and the word of the dead because he's this eternal horse. But he can only do that during the winter time because if he would do that in the summer, he would melt. And then in Scandinavia, there are myths about the water horses that are very common. It's called Nokka. And uh, it's this beautiful, magical horse that comes to the shore. And then it lures children. And then the children climb on to its back and then it drowns them. It's a trickster water spirit. And then another one that I found really fascinating was the image or the sort of motif of the stone giants. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the stone giants, they come from Scandinavian mythology. And there's a very long history in Norway and Sweden about uh, trolls that live in, uh, live in um, mountains. We don't have that many of those stories here in Finland because we don't really have that many mountains, but definitely in Norway, in the in the north of Norway, and then in Sweden, you know, they have these big mountains, so you can easily imagine that they have stories about trolls. And in a lot of these stories, the troll or giant is an evil giant. 
that tries to trick people or do other bad things. So we can find lots of stories about uh, trolls in Sami mythology. One of the most famous ones is uh, called Stalo. And this is a very interesting character because it's more like a shapeshifter. So Stalo was this terrible giant that uh, Samis were afraid of. But then it's also been used as this uh, scary thing that used that was used to scare children. So not everyone believed in into it. But it's more like a manifestation of a nighttime that Stalo represents this horrible things that come out at nights. Another character that I'm, I was really interested in um, is a goddess whose name I might not pronounce correctly, but I believe is Iduna. Can you talk about, and who is also a character in the Frozen movies, could you talk about that, about how this person is sort of characterized in the movies, but also what she represents in Sami or in Norse mythology? Yeah, in the Frozen movies, Iduna is the mother of Elsa and Anna, and she is an Otrutra. And then Iduna is also a name of a goddess in uh, Norse mythology. I think she's a goddess of uh, autumn time. Then I think the last one that I wanted to ask about are the Seta. You know, you wrote that that these are stone formations that are kind of similar in appearance or function um, to places like Stonehenge. But could you talk a bit more about those? Like, how are they used and what do they actually look like? Do we find them in, you know, in Finland or in Scandinavia today? Yeah, you can find sethas from uh, Lapland today. They are basically these big stone formations. And... Um, some of them were used as this for these special rites, like for baby, for these reindeer sacrifices. Then I know there are some here in Finland that were made for Ukko, the thunder god, or the god of the sky. So these were really, really communal places where people would perform these rituals for the uh, otherworldly beings. Maybe my final question was just... More kind of generally about, you know, one of the critiques of the Frozen movies, um, especially the first one, is of its sort of cultural appropriation of Sami culture um, and aspects of Sami folklore and mythology, like the ones that you've just discussed. And so I'm just curious what your take on that situation or on that controversy is. You know, do you find the use of Sami cultural motifs in the films to have been sort of a respectful one. You know, you've talked about how it seems to me, I think a sort of surprising level of research into Sami culture and mythology seems to have gone into the filmmaking process and seems to be reflected in the films. Um, but do you find that to be the case based on your knowledge of this area? So uh, with the first Frozen film, they had some Sami elements, like Kristoff, um, he, he is wearing an outfit of a reindeer herder, Sami reindeer herder. And then the person who composed the music was a Norwegian Sami. So there were some elements taken from the Sami culture. And what I know, they did have like a, a Disney ex- exhibition to Lapland 
that studied the Sami culture. So when they started to make the second part, they they were contacted by the Sami, I think it was the Sami Cultural Institute, and they were open in Disney to have that collaboration. I actually have the agreement here. What Disney Animation Studios and Disney Character Voices International shall cooperate with the Sami in connection with the creation of a dubbed version of Frozen 2 in one Sami language? What Disney Animation Studios shall provide a screen credit on Frozen 2, thanking the Sami for their co- cooperation and collaboration on the film? So they had a, I think it was 10 Sami cultural helpers developing the movie. So I think that's a good step. And we have had a very long um, discussion here in Finland about the cultural appropriation. And I'm not always very happy how things are going. Like, um, for example, in there's been lots of discussion about how Finnish people in um, media were um, were these cheap copies of Sami clothes Mm -hmm. or Sami outfits, and then they don't have that actual information about the Sami culture. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen this happening in the Miss Universe competition, and uh, there was a Finnish skier who did the same. (laughs) And then sort of wearing these cheap copies of a Sami costume that is not authentic and in um, 2016 I think there was this Finnish artist to make this video art about a woman wearing this cheap Sami costume like in a dance video and then it was bought by the Finnish Museum of Modern Art Mm -hmm. and there was lots of discussion about that not just with the Samis but also with like regular Finnish people, how the video was seen as offensive. And when I saw it, I thought it was like objectifying Sami mm-hmm. women. And um, we have lots of that kind of discussion here going on. And um, I remember when I was a child in the 90s, uh, there were so many sort of negative stereotypes about Samis in TV and entertainment. I uh, like not so much anymore, but I I can understand why people are still like remembering those stereotypes. Right. And uh, so I think now with Frozen 2, it has been, I, I see it as a positive thing because the movie was developed with actual Samis. And I hope <laughs> Finland is that, strange country because I think everything that happens in the world comes a bit later here or <laughs> everything happens a bit later so I I think there is some kind of improvement but it's very slow mm. yeah also about the the frozen two when they had this whole plot of, about them building a dam when they were building the dam in the movie and then in the end of the film the dam all, all the water broke loose. Uh, that also has some historical connections to the the way uh, Samis have been treated in Scandinavian countries, because in the 1960s, 
uh, there were these uh, power plants built to Norway and Finland. And uh, they built these artificial lakes next to those power plants. And then they destroyed Sami villages in all these Scandinavian countries. And these people were forced to move out. And then they destroyed tons of forest and these people's homes for, for electricity. And uh, so in the movie, the breaking the dam, it can be seen as a metaphor for this sort of national trauma. And then just another question that we, what you just said made me think of. Do you think that there's been, uh, you know, as a result of the films, have you seen an increased sort of interest in Sami culture and, you know, in the things that you research in Sami folklore and mythology more broadly? Um, has it become easier for you to do your research? You know, you said that Finland is maybe a little slower to get to some of these conversations or a little maybe behind the curve um, in some ways, which is maybe also my experience when I lived there. But so do you think that the that the films and Walt Disney Animation Studios sort of promotion of or engagement with Sami culture, do you think that within Finland or within the Nordic countries, has that contributed to increased interest in or awareness of or a more positive um, understanding of Sami culture? Well, I do know that uh, there has been increase, increasing study on uh, people who have started to study Northern Sami within mm. recent years. I don't know if it's because of Frozen 2 or maybe because this topic has been more um, talked about in Finnish media, but that's a good thing. And mm. I actually spoke with someone on Tumblr who had read the same blog post that you did, uh, <laughs> that they had started to study like uh, Arctic cultures after they had seen Frozen 20s for some American lady. So I think there is some kind of improvement. I thought that was interesting. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was really interesting. Thank you for sharing your research. I'll post links to where people can find you online um, and can see more of your writing and research and artwork um, if people are interested. Thanks to you, Maggie. Thank you for listening. And of course, a special thanks to Nina Niskanen for coming on to talk to me. I'll post some links and images and further resources related to the content of this episode on my Twitter at nomads underscore pod. So please check that out if you're interested. You can also contact me there or by email at digitalnomadspod at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, or if there's a topic you'd like me to cover in the future. Thanks so much for listening.